G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. For a lot of Aussies, the possibility of facing depression or anxiety can be like a ticking time bomb. That's the way our special guest today describes his situation just short of his 30th birthday. He was someone with a loving wife and two children. He was a trained journalist. He worked as a school teacher. And after years of study, he was on the brink of fulfilling his dream of working in full-time Christian ministry. But it all suddenly imploded into depression and anxiety. He found himself unconscious on the floor of a psychiatric hospital. Well, our privilege today to seek some insights into how to handle this type of crisis that confronts so many Aussies. Chris Cipollone tells his story in a new book called Down and Out, Depression, Anxiety and the Difference Jesus Makes. Today, Chris is a pastor, a speaker, teacher and author living in Sydney. He's the founding director of Biblical Counselors Australia, which is an interdenominational organisation bringing the truths of Scripture to all of life. And a special welcome to 2020 to you, Chris Cipollone. Neil, thank you so much for having me. Chris, thanks so much for taking time to share some thoughts today and to tell your story. Uh, I'll tell people how they can get a hold of your book shortly, but uh, tell us how the book came about, because you go through all sorts of experiences like you've done. Not everybody can put their thoughts on paper, but you've decided to write a book. Is that a sort of a healing process, even just putting your thoughts down and telling your story? Absolutely, Neil. I mean, how the book came about was, as you shared in your introduction, I I found myself in a psychiatric hospital and I was six weeks short of graduating from a master's degree from a Bible college and just found this crisis happening in my own life and essentially asking myself the question, if I was a pastor in this situation, what would I be saying to somebody else? And so I began to write my own thoughts for my own healing. There was never necessarily any sort of a book in the works, but just concepts that I was wrestling with and trying to think about how does my faith inform how I process this? began what was pen to paper that is now four years later the book that we have in front of us. Chris, you went through this depression, this anxiety, and it seems to me, uh, from what I've gleaned from your book, it hit you like a ton of bricks and came out of the blue. It wasn't something that crept up on you and, uh, and, and you know, in, in some sort of a slow process. This was something that came on you quickly. Is that the way it worked for you? I think it had, been a, it had been a long process, but what was a surprise was the, uh, the brevity of the situation. I, I was in a worse place than what I had thought, and, and that part of it was a shock. Uh, but I'd known for some time that depression was an issue. I was first diagnosed with it six years prior, but where the book picks up of me in a psychiatric hospital, I mean, no, I certainly didn't ever expect to find myself there. 
Let me just ask you about you telling your story now and now when you've got a platform to stand on and uh, you've been pastoring and uh, you've found your way into a Christian leader's role, when you start to tell your story, is it a whole lot more prevalent than most people think that there are people who you're mixing with or people that are attracted to your story who've been going through anxiety and depression? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's been that's been both a challenge and a privilege. Uh, I guess we have the statistics, and this is one of the things that I like to tell people is we know it's out there. We know it's common. Uh, anywhere between uh, one in five people in Australia will be struggling with depression and anxiety in any given year, uh, one in four over the course of their lifetime. So we know it's there, and you only have to run the numbers on your churches to know somebody or some people will be struggling with this. Uh, the hope in sharing my own story and being raw is that those people in a safe way, now they don't have to write a book about it, but, but find somebody in their life who they can share this journey with because it, it's hard anyway, let alone when you're going through it uh, by yourself and alone. And so, uh, yeah, absolutely, a lot of people at my own church have, have come out, people who I've spoken to publicly uh, have thanked me that they now feel like they can talk to me or to others about it. And uh, one of the great privileges I've found is uh, often people who do struggle with these illnesses are, are beautiful people, uh, sensitive souls, uh, caring personalities, empathetic. And, you know, I think our, our preconception of what somebody who struggles with their mind looks like, uh, for me, has been blown out of the water, that these are not, you know, to use the disparaging term, crazy people. These, these are beautiful people who are just struggling within themselves uh, to function and to think and to feel uh, with complete accuracy all of the time. Uh, can you self-diagnose that you're going through anxiety and depression or is it something that a professional, uh, when you're sitting opposite them uh, at their desk, they say, uh, you are suffering depression, you are suffering anxiety? Uh, and is that when you sort of realise that there's something here that needs some extra special attention? How do you uh, how do you approach the idea of, of whether you're actually going through something that may be linked to a mental illness? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question because what if life is just hard at the moment? How do I know? Is that depression? Is that just me struggling with the situation? Um, I always look for, for change, is, is what I would say. Uh, have my thoughts and patterns changed? Am I more reluctant to do things in life? Uh, and also, what are the people close to me saying? You know, if I'm married, is my spouse observing things? If I'm not married, are my friends saying certain things or noticing certain things? And so... Look, for me personally, how I know that I'm struggling is when the darkness, if you like, is, is a generalised problem. In other words, uh, a situation can be hard. We live in a fallen world. We know that as Christians. Things will happen. Um, but does a difficult situation then translate in my own thought patterns to the world is just hard? You know, it becomes from a specific situation to a global problem. Or as psychologists might say, you begin to, to catastrophize. Uh, some sort of challenge informs the way you see life itself. And that, for me, is one of the helpful litmus tests to go, is this situation hard or has the world all of a sudden become hard? Now, uh, sorry, yep. you go. I was going to say, what makes a situation you're going through hard? Because we might be thinking, oh, I can't pay the bills, mm. or uh, I might have a chronic illness. Uh, there might be all sorts of 
things. I might feel rejected by my family. I might have been sacked in the workplace. Uh, these sorts of things are they are they uh, these what you describe as hard times, or are they triggers for something that might set us off on a on an, a journey of mental illness? How do you describe hard? Yeah, that's that's helpful. I think the closest word I would use in the English vocabulary is despair. Uh, I remember I remember thinking when I was at my lowest. There's almost no word for this. You know, in the olden days, we would call it melancholy. Um, you can lose your job and that's hard, but does that translate to a general despair of your life? Or another paradigm would be hopelessness. Uh, have I lost hope that there will ever be any brightness again? And, and that's, that's when it changes from a difficult situation to one where you have to ask yourself, might there be depression here, despair and hopelessness? Sometimes people use that uh, that illustration of the black dog. Yeah. Uh, is that something you feel as though you've experienced? Yeah. I mean, darkness is a really... It's abstract, but it's also helpful. It's just this, this gloom, and it, and it affects all of your life, where you just... Your mind is playing tricks on you, and you genuinely, from the bottom of your heart in that moment, don't believe that that light is possible again. And so it's, it's hope that is lacking when you're depressed. And that's the hardest thing is it's, it's not just a pain of today. It's the pain of not believing that any day going forward is ever going to be any better. So the gloom is so uh, dis- disparaging. The gloom is so thick that you can't see that whole idea of a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Uh, when you feel as though there is no hope for you for the future and uh, and you feel like there's just nothing left. Is this the point when you feel those suicidal type of thoughts? Uh, I note that from your book, you first had suicidal thoughts on a visit to Disney World <laughs> and Disney World is known as the happiest place on earth and how do you feel suicidal thoughts if you're visiting disney world how do you describe just how thick and how challenging the gloom is the darkness is when you get to a point where you have those sorts of thoughts yeah uh, for the disney world example specifically i'll i say it in the book but that was that was a very scary but also insightful experience where i did have my first suicidal thought and it was no coincidence that it was at Disney World because what I realized in hindsight and only in hindsight was that I'd been pursuing happiness is the ultimate goal of life. And so when I got to Disney World with the tagline, the happiest place on earth, and I found myself not happy, it was just utter despair because the question in my head was, well, if I can't be happy here, where can I be? And again, that, that sense of hopelessness of this is not going to be achieved anywhere and so coming back to suicide, I firmly believe that um, for people to make that choice, and can I say, if there is anyone listening who is contemplating that, there is always help and there is always hope. And this is coming from somebody who lost the belief that there was hope. Uh, there is hope. I'm living example of it. But I, but I believe that people make that decision not because today is unbearable, but again, because there is a false belief that every day is going to be as unbearable as this one and, and hope is gone. 
Now, I feel like we're in the depths here and talking about the real messiness of mental illness and depression and anxiety. And when you talk about happiness being your ultimate goal in life, I suspect there are a lot of people, uh, even people who are rock solid in their faith, who somehow rather have this idea that happiness is the ultimate goal. If I'm happy, then God must be blessing me. How do you reflect on happiness and what ultimate goals ought to be these days, Chris? Yeah, I think this is one of the biggest things that we need to challenge in ourselves, in our faith. And and I wasn't challenging it. I didn't even know it was a thing. You know, I grew up in the you-can-do-anything generation. I had high hopes for my life. And, and what I say in the book is I don't believe I slipped into depression because I was overly pessimistic, but I fell into depression because I was overly optimistic. And the expectations that I had for my life, to be honest, looking back, were never going to be met by reality. And to make happiness the ultimate thing, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners will attest to this, uh, we so easily make these good things ultimate things, to use a paradigm of, of Timothy Keller when he talks about idolatry. You know, happiness is a blessing from God. Uh, I come home every afternoon from work and my kids run to the door. They're at that age where they're just so excited to see me. We're allowed to be happy. And God will bless us with times of happiness. But if that is the be-all and end-all of life, that's when we lose perspective. Happiness just cannot be sustained. And as Christians, this shouldn't come as any surprise. You know, we believe in a broken world. Short of the new creation, happiness all of the time is just by very nature impossible. And so we have to build ourselves up with an alternative framework of what we are making ultimate in our life. And and ultimately, what we ought to be building upon is, is God. <laughs> uh, the beautiful thing about God's love and God's grace, uh, God's kindness, is that they are unshakable truths. Uh, God's love is, is the, the constant in life. And for those of us who are struggling with depression and anxiety, so much else is so vulnerable and, and so shaky that you need this solid ground. And if you try and find your solid ground on something like happiness or career, family, whatever you want to make it, it's ultimately going to let you down at one point or another. And, you know, for me, Colossians 1 has been a very important text where, where Paul says all things are from Christ and all things are for Christ. And, and the way that a psychologist explained that to me and the question that he asked me as I recounted the Disney World story was, what if happiness was not the ultimate goal of life? What if maturity in Christ was the ultimate goal of life? And the beauty of that becoming your paradigm is that nothing is wasted. Good times are purposeful, bad times are purposeful, because they're all contributing to the greater reality of joy, maturity, faith in Christ. Wow. I mean, this is tremendous uh, insight that you're bringing today. What if happiness is not the ultimate goal in life? What if maturity in Christ is the ultimate goal in life? We're going to unpack that a little bit more. And for those who are listening in today, and we're talking about some things that might trigger even thoughts in your own mind or remembering your own experience, let me just say that there are 
as Chris said, uh, help that is available, uh, Lifeline 13 11 14, Beyond Blue. And if it's prayer you need, of course, you could call Vision Christian Prayer on 1-800-772-936. We are talking about depression and anxiety. Our special guest this hour is Chris Cipollone. He tells his story in a new book called Down and Out, Depression, Anxiety and the Difference Jesus Makes. Lots more to come when we talk about the difference Jesus makes ahead here on 2020. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Chris Cipollone is our guest. He tells his story in a new book called Down and Out, Depression, Anxiety and the Difference that Jesus Makes. His new book, available from thegoodbook.com.au, reformers.com.au, Kurong has the book, Amazon Australia and Amazon Kindle Store. There's also a website, chrischipolone.com. Chris, when we talk about depression and anxiety and the recognition that there are so many people who are either experiencing some of those things or one day may experience depression and anxiety. When we talk about the difference Jesus makes, some people are saying, well, I'm preferring to put my faith in what the counsellor might tell me, what a psychologist might tell me about my condition. What are your thoughts about introducing Jesus into your situation if you're suffering depression and anxiety? Yeah. I think the first thing to be said on that is there is a lot of competing views on this. How does psychology interact with Christianity? Where do they meet? Where do they contradict? We believe that scripture is the ultimate wisdom of God, and you will see in the book that in no way do I believe that Christians ought to uh, restrict themselves from seeing psychologists, even non-Christian psychologists. I I think we are all made in the image of God, and Christian and non-Christian uh, researchers have found an immense amount about the human brain, and, and we should be thankful for that. That's a blessing. Uh, but a unique Christian worldview has to have something to say about this issue because I believe that our worldview has something to say about everything. And ultimately, if we're asking ourselves the question, what is the difference Jesus makes? If we just think about the cross for a minute, and, and we can put all sorts of words on that. You know, when you go to Bible college, you learn these concepts of justification and atonement. All these things, these are helpful to explore. But at the heart, what is it that the cross is showing us about God? And what the cross is showing us is that God is powerfully for us and he is not against us. Uh, He has not spared anything in pursuit of us. And one of the things about depression and anxiety that if you haven't been through it, may be difficult to understand is that It is very, very difficult to love yourself, and it's very difficult to accept yourself. You know, in the way that you might get frustrated with somebody else, when you're going through it, you get frustrated within yourself. And so to have this greater reality at play that is telling you, no, you are loved, and you are accepted, and it's not because of your performance, but because I simply love you and accept you, and and God's grace is greater, that this reality and what I would call a gospel identity has to make a huge difference to how we think of ourselves and the world and ultimately about God. Chris, take us to the Bible because for a lot of Christian believers who say, yes, of course, I believe in God. Uh, I want to follow Jesus, my Lord and Saviour. I want to come back to the Scriptures. Does God really understand the depths in which I've been facing my own dark moments? 
What do you share with people when it comes to particular scripture passages about how they might be able to identify identify with the way that even great characters of the Bible have suffered their own darknesses? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the the greatest gifts that the Bible gives us is is room to lament. I think that's one of the the underplayed aspects of a Christian faith is. Again, if we live in a fallen world, God, God understands. And, and ultimately, when, when Christ comes, as Hebrews reminds us, that he's able to empathize with our weakness, not because he understands suffering intellectually, but he's been through it himself. And, and you see Christ himself lament, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane, his sorrow is overwhelming. Um, the book of Philippians, for me, has been incredibly helpful. Often theologians will talk about Philippians being an appeal to unity within the church, and, and that's absolutely right. Uh, but another layer I think that you see here is the Apostle Paul, in a very vulnerable position, uh, he is coming to the end of his life. He is struggling, and there are some famous passages of Scripture within this short book, uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, grant your requests to God. I've learned the secret of contentment in all things, whether well-fed or hungry. You know, this is a man who reveals a lot about his own mental state and how his faith and his, his steadfastness in Christ has to inform uh, how he thinks of the challenges that he's going through. Of course, when we think of the Bible, uh, for some people, they think it's just uh, all about happy things. Others will recognize that there are some really dark passages in the Bible. Uh, One that I picked up on, and I'll get your comment, uh, Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3, which reads, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. It's a bit of a picture there of being in the slimy pit, the mud and the mire, and then realizing that God is able to lift you out of the slimy pit and put your feet solidly on a rock. When you think of recovery or when you think of God in the midst of your circumstances, when you're going through depression and anxiety, uh, there's a picture there. What are your thoughts on, on the process that you'd go through in, in knowing that God cares? Yeah, in terms of the process, and I think this is where we need to get a strong grasp on, look, nothing is beyond God. <laughs> and in no way am I going to underestimate his power that uh, in one prayer, in one moment, you can have absolute healing. Uh, there is no way that you're going to hear me doubt that the possibility of that is, is real. At the same time, if you look on experience, for a lot of people, this journey of mental illness is a long one. And so for those who are trying to love somebody in their life, and for those who are trying to love themselves, I think it's important to recognize that that process of healing renewal, uh, restoration is a long one. Um, some, a, a figure that I really uh, appreciate in Scripture is when you look at Joseph's life. And Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50 to his brothers, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. So this beautiful moment of realization that God has carried him out of the muck and the mire, as you say from the Psalms. But that's a life reflected. And there would have been so many times for that man in prison and 
false accusations from Potiphar's wife and being sold into slavery by his own family that he would have asked himself, God, what are you doing? And so we need to remember that that life, it's a cliche, but life is very much about the journey as much as about the destination. And we know our destination is sure. We know we await the new creation. Uh, but God is asking us to go on a journey with him and he's asking us to trust him, to hold on to his promises, that he will lift us but we can so easily become impatient and miss what God might be doing in the process in maturing us, as we spoke about earlier. Chris, I want to invite listeners to join into our conversation. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own insight to share. You might have a brief story of your own to tell. You might have a question you'd like to put to our special guest this hour. 1-800-316-316. You can also leave a comment or a question on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. As Libby from Yarrawonga, who really just sent in a compliment, she says, Chris is awesome, speaking on the real paradigm in life and not just happiness. God bless you. Uh, Obviously, Libby there has recognized something in the the things you're sharing today, Chris, that uh, when we talk paradigms, we're talking about a way of thinking that changes and uh, and you're recognizing that it's not just all about happiness and optimism, but there's a real paradigm in this maturity that you were talking about a little earlier. If we come back to that, the idea of a shifting paradigm, a shift in the way we think about depression and anxiety, uh, what are your thoughts on, on just getting real rather than living in a dream world? Yeah, and, and thank you, Libby, for your support. It really means a lot. Uh, look, I think it's, I think it's vital. And, and again, the beauty of maturity, you know, we could swing a pendulum here and say the world is hard, the world is broken, everything's hard. And the other way, we can believe that every promise of Scripture and every hope we have of the new creation is possible now. And the fact of the matter is, I don't think we have to choose. I think we absolutely get glimpses of the new creation here. The opportunity for maturity in that is to give honor to God and thank Him and praise Him. And, you know, the fact that He would bless us with anything over and above our salvation is extraordinary. And on the other hand, again, we're also suffering. You've only got to look at the life of Jesus to see that we are guaranteed... Uh, we are sorry. We are not guaranteed a simple, comfortable life. And somewhere along the way, in our hopes for life, in our broader culture—not just our Christian cultures, but our Western culture—happiness uh, and comfort have become the goal. And if if you shift the paradigm, as you say, and you make it maturity, all things from Christ, all things for Christ. The beauty of that is that there will not be a single day of your life that is wasted. Every day is an opportunity to grow in maturity in Christ and actually particularly in the times of suffering that's made all the more possible. Just a couple of minutes out from news, let's take a call from Edwina in Rockhampton. Hello Edwina, welcome along. Hi, thank you. Edwina, need to be quick, what are your thoughts? Uh, My thoughts on depression, I really love this topic because it's the number one issue in our world with every age group. Um, I really believe, and I was thinking on this, that we are missing one of the main points here. Um, Maturity is totally one of it, um, but I believe that satisfaction is something that we don't have the revelation of. When we have the revelation and satisfaction, and that doesn't come from 
talking to a Christian friend. It comes from knowing what God has done. It also comes from being there for someone else. You know, the scripture says, um, if you do something for someone else, uh, your needs will be met. So if we can get the revelation of satisfaction and God's provision, I believe our stress and our mental health will be less than every day. And I even have my own story to share, but uh, maybe we'll leave that for next time. Edwina, wonderful thought. And a very quick response from Chris. Satisfaction in the mix here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the word I would probably use, I don't know if Edwina agrees, is joy. And I think joy, to bring happiness back in, joy and happiness are often confused as the same thing, but they are very, very different. And I think satisfaction and joy, to share a quick quote from Kay Warren, uh, who's written a lot on the topic of mental health, uh, in a book she's written called Choose Joy, she says that joy is the belief that everything is ultimately going to be okay. And, And she can only say that with full confidence because she knows there is a God above who loves her deeply. And she's speaking out of extreme heartache, uh, where she can still say that joy is possible. Let's talk for a moment about what your thoughts are on the cause of a lot of mental illness and depression and anxiety that people suffer, because you say something that is actually quite controversial. Uh, When you talk about mental illness being a result of the sinful state of humanity, what do you mean by the sinful state of humanity and the connection to mental illness? Yeah, this is certainly a loaded one and one that needs to be handled carefully. Uh, I think we've got um, some historical uh, aspects of biblical counselling that need to be questioned. Uh, the idea that if you just have enough faith, you can overcome depression, I think is far too simplistic and, and not helpful. Uh, in terms of the fallen state of humanity, if we want to say sin... Uh, it has to inform how we think about this. So the way I like to think about it and the way I articulate it in the book is there are, there are two dimensions to this conversation. You've got sin in the general sense and you've got sin in the specific sense. If we start by looking at the general sense, we have to say once again that the world is fallen. Uh, we, we can all see that. And so if Adam and Eve had not fallen in the garden... I don't believe depression and anxiety would need to be a conversation that we're having today. And so the first thing we need to say is that this is, like many, many things in life, a symptom of the general problem of a fallen creation. Uh, Fallen bodies, and part of that being uh, imperfect brain function, if you like. Okay. I don't think that's too controversial. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe it is. But the more controversial one, I think, is the specific. What if my sin, my personal sin, my own vices has slipped me or or led to me falling into depression and anxiety? That's a very, very hard question to answer. And, And if I can use my own story, if I'm being perfectly honest, I think there were some things that I should have challenged within myself that I wasn't. Again, we're talking about the happiness paradigm as an example. A thorough research of scripture should have should have led me to conclude that I couldn't be happy all of the time. And yet, somewhere along the way, I fell into that false belief that, that perpetual happiness was possible. At the same time, I can see from my own childhood growing up that I would have always had a propensity towards anxiety. I was always the kid who, who feared getting into trouble, very emotionally sensitive, that kind of personality. And so... Uh, 
in spite of all of this, the beauty, and, and this is the heart of it, I, I think and I hope for our listeners, the beauty is that a gospel understanding of the world has to inform both. Because if you look at the general brokenness of the world, we look forward to a new creation. And if somewhere along the way you do conclude, you know what, I was believing something false, I was thinking the wrong way, uh, my theology was off, or however you want to frame it, we've got grace. <laughs> and these things do not need to condemn us, they do not need to be the final word. Again, we can grow, we can mature, uh, we can find a way through it, and, and, and God is the answer to both of the problems. Chris, a couple of comments from our Facebook page. Coral from Kuma, who wanted to thank you for covering this issue because it's never covered adequately elsewhere and no real answers are ever given. And this is so important for everyone to hear and be educated about. I'll get your comment perhaps on that in just a few moments. But another precious lady in Queensland called. Uh, She wasn't prepared and wasn't confident to go to air. Uh, on our talkback line, uh, she's diagnosed with mental illness for 40 years, knows the Lord, but still has very dark days. She called to thank you for uh, the way that you're sharing because it's been very rich in truth and a help for those who are suffering with debilitating mental illnesses and has appreciated the conversation very much and agreed a million percent. So uh, there's no one uh, detracting from (laughs) the sorts of things that you're sharing. Uh, For people who've gone through this sort of mental illness, depression, anxiety, and counting it in not just years but in decades, Mm. uh, the idea of full recovery, for some people they're going through something like a season and they're coming out the other side. Others seem to be suffering for many decades. What are your thoughts on seasons and the the length of time it takes sometimes, and perhaps for those who might not fully recover? Yeah, and thank you so much to that lady for sharing her story. And I mean, that that in itself tells you something. 40 years, a woman of faith, it's, it's not a faith problem for her. She, she is wrestling. And yes, you're right. For some people, it's a season. Uh, for, for that particular caller, it's, it's far more than seasonal. Uh, for me, I'm very careful with how I describe uh, my condition or my illness, if you like, where I will tell people that I live with depression. And so depression is still part of my story, but it is not the sum total of who I am, and it is still possible to live. For some people, there are, there are circumstances, there are situations that trigger something over time, you look back and you find, actually, that's not a part of my life anymore. For me, I have to face the reality. I've had two major uh, relapses. Again, this might be helpful for people who aren't aware. Doctors will talk about the difference between a lapse and a relapse. Uh, A lapse might be a difficult day, a dark day, even a dark week. A relapse is just hitting square one again and hitting that breaking point. And, And I've had two relapses in my life, and statistics will say, once you've had multiple, the chances are it'll happen again. We're taking the, calls. Oh, sorry. Yes, what, no, you had. Okay. No, I think I think the thing that I, I want to encourage people to think about the most at this point, and I'm so grateful for that lady's call, is uh, one of the attempts to drop stigma has been. You might have heard it with the broken leg analogy, where you will say to somebody, "You'll see a doctor for a broken leg. You should be also willing to see a doctor for mental illness." And it's beautifully. It's a beautiful sentiment. It's attempting to drop stigma, and it is helpful to a degree. But where the analogy falls short is that if you see a doctor for a broken leg, you're committing to a six to eight week recovery. And we've just heard from a caller 
that this has been a 40-year journey for her. And, and we need to understand the difference between a, men, uh, between a chronic and an acute illness. And for the most part, mental illness is a chronic illness. And when we journey, we journey a long road. And when we uh, are seeking to care and love for people in our lives, we need to just be okay with sitting with the discomfort of depression and anxiety, looking for the days of hope and the light, and they will be there, but also leaving space for the darker days as well. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Andrew in Brisbane. Hello, Andrew. Welcome along. Yeah, good morning. Uh, look, I just want to frame a question um, with partly a statement. Um, there's a Dr. John Gray. Uh, I believe his brother had uh, serious mental uh, issues, and he claims that uh, that is why he became a doctor. Uh, he went on to say in his blogs that um, he found that uh, lithium orotate um, was very effective in in um, basically helping a lot of a lot of mentally depressed people. I don't know um, whether you've heard that, and I'd like to know if you have what you think of it. Andrew, good thoughts, uh, response from our guest, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm no doctor and I, I can't comment specifically on that particular medication. I don't know. I mean, I know people who've taken it. Uh, I've never taken it, but I am on medication now every day. Um, I certainly think that as Christians, we, uh, we should feel okay, I think, or be willing to, to take medication. Uh, if there are chemical things going on in the brain, um, medication helps immensely and it's the way it was spoken to me is it's it's a helpful way to retrain your brain it, it's not the sum total of the recovery medication in itself I don't believe is going to solve every problem but when your brain is in dysfunction it's a very very helpful way to begin that process and to help you uh, reflect and to work within yourself on an emotional level when your brain is just not operating how it ought to. But, but in terms of specifically that, that drug, I, I can't comment. Andrew, thank you so much for your call and an important issue that you raise when it comes to medications. Another Facebook comment from Mike who says, Hi Chris, we are spirit beings in a body. Our anxieties and our mental problems are often soul-spirit issues, though some are doubtless related to the brain as an organ. What do you think? Uh, I've had my own struggles. Thanks. Uh, thoughts for Mike on that one, uh, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I don't think we have to be forced to choose, and I think we've made the mistake of this in the past. There is absolutely the spiritual soul level of what's going on. There is the brain level of what's going on. And and from the many, many people I've spoken to, it's it's both and so much of the time. And so I don't think we need to necessarily separate the components of our being but see this within the context of us being a whole person, which means that we need to absolutely reflect on this issue through spiritual lenses. That is a critical component, but for many of us, that's not the sole component, that there are physical, biological things going on, again, as a result of a fallen humanity and a fallen creation where our bodies and minds are just not operating as they ought to. And at the same time, we have heart problems. There is sin in the world, and so there are also the deep spiritual soul questions that we need to be wrestling with. Let's take another call. Russell is in Brisbane. Hello, Russell. Welcome along. Hello. How are you? 
Look, I had a breakdown in the early 80s, right, and I was married at the time, and my wife said to the doctors, what can I do to help him? And they said, nothing, we'll hold his bed, he'll be back in six months. By the grace of God, I have not been back, they're still holding my bed. I really pressed into the Lord with scriptures like, well, God had not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. Romans 5, 1, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans, um, Psalm 103, verse 3, he forgives my sins and heals my disease. I'm healed. I'm off medication. The enemy's really tried to get the ground back, but he's lost it through the blood of Christ. Mm. Russell, let me just ask you, and I'll get to Chris to reflect on those scriptures, but when the doctors said, you'll be back here in six months, uh, your wife was involved in this and as a support. Uh, what was she like as a support when you were going through that time? Um, my, look, uh, I don't want to get into that. I had a lot of trouble with my wife, but that was one of the things she came out with, and that I never had much support. And I really have to rely on God to get me through the Holy Spirit, which he did, and it give me more glory. All right, Russell, good thoughts in there. Chris, your thoughts for Russell? Yeah, I, I just want to validate what Russell said about the, the promises and the truths of Scripture. Uh, when we're at our lowest, we really need to cling on to these. And, and one of the questions that I ask in the book, and one of the things that we wrestle with for those of us who live with this, is what do I do with my feelings? Uh, what do I do when I feel one way, when I feel hopeless, when I feel helpless? And, and God is telling me in Scripture these kinds of promises that Russell have just shared with us. Um, I think uh, we need to uh, have our faith open. Now, again, I'm not saying that, that uh, have enough, or if you don't have enough faith, you will, you're depressed. I, I'm not going that simplistically. But I certainly would validate the fact that these promises of Scripture, the character of God... We need to challenge and question the conclusions that we're making about God and the world. And, and Russell talked about spiritual attack for one moment. I think that's a key element to this. You know, I reflect, uh, if you look at uh, Luke's Gospel, and when he recounts uh, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, and Satan fails at that, and, and Jesus doesn't succumb to the temptation, uh, Luke narrates it and says, and Satan left until the next opportune time. And... We need to recognize what the enemy does, and he, he preys on opportunity. And mental illness is absolutely an opportunity for us to question who we think God is, self-condemnation, lies. And Scripture needs to be a bedrock to, to convince us of what the truth is. Thank you so much to Russell from Brisbane. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. taking calls, talking depression and anxiety. Let's hear from Lisa in Kalgoorlie in WA. Hello, Lisa. Welcome along. Oh, hi, lads. How are you both? Very well. Hello, Lisa. Um, I just have a question. Um, I've suffered for a long time, um, but it's about guilt, and it's about guilt amplifying um, your status quo. And I know God, and I know God can get me through it, but I feel this um, overwhelming guilt that I don't trust enough that I'll, I'll get through it. And I feel like that's a sin, that I'm not relying purely on my faith. I mean, I believe, but I just, there's this, this sense of doubt, and it's just this spiritual warfare continually. Like, I feel almost like I've got 
the light on one shoulder and I've got the dark on the other shoulder and it's just a continual battle and this guilt just amplifies it all the time. Chris, your thoughts for Lisa? Yeah, Lisa, I really, I relate to that. I mean, I think one of the hardest things is when we become frustrated at our own condition. We're, We're already depressed and we're already anxious and then we get, we start to get anxious about our anxiety and depressed about our depression and it just, it cycles and Uh, Yep, I've had times of guilt as well, and I would just so encourage you to remember the grace of God that the simple fact of the matter is that uh, we will uh, fall short, uh, but God doesn't leave us in that. And so there is room to be convicted and to reflect, but I would really challenge the conclusions of guilt because in Christ we are deemed not guilty. And so... Um, really praying against that I think is important uh, to reflect, to consider where is the guilt coming from and to find people in your life who can, who can speak the truth of Christ's love for you that your frailty and, and your vulnerability is not what defines you before God and I would encourage you to keep reflecting and to keep growing uh, but guilt I don't know, well I don't think is the helpful motivator for that to happen. It's actually the belief that in the midst of the transgression or the, the lack of faith or whatever it is, that these things are not being held against you. Thank you so much to Lisa from Kalgoorlie in WA. Let me take you into something which I think will be an important thing for you to reflect on, Chris, and that is what sort of role church has. Because when we're starting to talk about the grace of God and being encouraged in that, and for people who are accepting you as you are and embracing you in those times, the idea of having a hope uh, in something that's bigger than ourselves that will create something of a light at the end of the tunnel so that we can at least see that there is a way forward. The church has a role to play here. Uh, what sort of things do you think the church ought to be speaking into this space when it comes to uh, depression and anxiety? Yeah, I, I really firmly believe that the church has a vital role in all of this. Uh, I don't believe the church is the the sum total. Again, I fully believe in psychology psychiatry, medication, these are important pieces of the puzzle. But if I reflect on my own journey, one of the things that I realize is that these psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors, their purpose is to treat me with their expertise. Their purpose is not to love me as a friend or a family member. That, that cannot be expected of them. They're seeing people all day, every day. Enter the church. Uh, the church is God's gracious provision of us, of a family of brothers and sisters who can love each other with the love of Christ. Vertically, if you like, what that means is that from the front and in conversation, we can keep encouraging each other. As I just spoke about with Lisa, keep reminding each other, no, God loves you. You are accepted by him. You've been forgiven. All of these things, your hope is sure, even when you're not feeling it. So to keep reminding people of that great truth of the gospel and horizontally or relationally, We have a profound opportunity to live out the love of Christ with one another. Uh, The classic passage of love, 1 Corinthians 13, spoken into how we use our gifts with one another. Uh, But I think it's it's applicable to, to any sort of dynamic going on within the church. And I find it very, very interesting that Paul's first manifestation of love is is patience. He says that love is patient. Uh, 
we need to be patient with one another. Again, we need to come to terms with the fact that depression and anxiety, more often than not, will be long-term journeys for people to live. And to show that unconditional love and care and valuing of the person, not just when they're easy to love, but when they're hard to love, that is a beautiful thing that we can stand by people for the long term through thick and thin, recognizing what we're not, that we're not psychologists, that we're not there to make conclusions about people's diagnosis as to whether they're depressed or anxious. Uh, that's a doctor's job. But, but what we are there to do is to love people in all seasons. Chris, you tell your story in your new book. It's called Down and Out, Depression, Anxiety and the Difference that Jesus Makes. When someone gets a hold of your book, they're going to read your story. What are the things you are mostly trying to communicate in your book? When someone picks it up and they say, well, I've, I've tried all sorts of things, I've read all sorts of accounts, I've had all sorts of treatments, I'm going to read Chris Cipollone's book. What's going to happen when I pick up your book and begin to read your story, the sorts of things that you desperately want to communicate? Yeah, I, the first thing, and, and the reason I wrote it, is I'd read things on a conceptual, theoretical level, my, my hope and prayer is that when someone opens the first page, they'll realize that it's not just them going through it by themselves. Uh, I've consciously made myself very vulnerable in this. Uh, there, are, there are concepts in each chapter, but, but linking them all together is my own story and my own journey. Uh, everyone's journey is going to be different. The brain is a complicated thing with many, many variables. Uh, but here I was six weeks from graduating with a, with a master's degree in theology on the floor, unconscious, and... I want people to see that they are not alone is the first thing. And the second thing I want them to see is that through my journey, there is hope, uh, there is light. And, and, and again, I wouldn't tell people that I'm cured. I don't want to overpromise. I certainly believe that full restoration is possible. And so when I hear somebody share their story that says, yeah, it was there for a time and it's there no more, great, I'm so happy for you. And at the same time, we have other callers who are saying, I've been wrestling for 40 years. I want people to see that they're not alone. I want them to see that their faith has a profound impact on the way they ought to think about this. And I want them to see that if they are not fully cured or healed, it might just be that God is putting them on a journey uh, that's very intentional and that is producing different fruit. And again, this is why if happiness and comfort or whatever paradigm you want to use is the purpose of life, a 40-year journey of living with depression, it's hard to not conclude that that's a wasted life. Uh, but if the purpose is maturity, joy, hope, all the more, a journey of living with depression and anxiety is clarified so much that, that everything we have is a grace of God and, and, and every hope that we have is found in Him. And that the journey that you're going through and, and the desperation that you feel does not have to be wasted. And, and again, that you are definitely not alone. Chris Cipollone, thank you so much for your humility and your willingness to share your story, to wear your heart on your sleeve, and uh, to put this out there for listeners who might be facing some of the challenges that you've faced. I'll point listeners to your book. It's called Down and Out. Depression, Anxiety and the Difference Jesus Makes. There is a whole new dimension that some people will be thinking, I need to find out the difference Jesus makes and they'll want to get a hold of your book. Let me tell you, you can get a hold of it at uh, the usual places, Amazon, 
our Amazon Kindle store at Kurong Books or reformers.com.au or thegoodbook.com.au. There's also a website I'll point you to, chrischipolone.com. Now, if you're wondering how do you spell Cipollone, uh, that's probably something you're used to uh, saying through your whole life, Chris, but it's C-I-P-O-L-L-O-N-E, C-I-P-O-L-L-O-N-E, pronounced Cipollone. Uh, Chris, wonderful to have you share your story. I do also want to just mention for those who something may have been triggered in our conversation today, you might be thinking, I need to talk to someone about how I'm feeling. You can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can call Beyond Blue, 1300 22 46 36. And if it is prayer you need, you could call Vision Christian Prayer on 1 800 772 936. Chris Cipollone, thanks so much for sharing your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.